everyone. Mike Vogel here for WashingtonCaps.com. Welcome to another edition of Break the Ice. Really thrilled uh, today to be joined by ex-Caps winger Aaron Volpatti, who's in town uh, for a few days and and for a great reason. Um, and we're, we're going to get to this. Aaron, Aaron is now an author, among many other things. He, he wrote this book, Fighter, Defying the NHL Odds, and we're going to talk about that. But first, Aaron, even when you, when you were here, like I, I never knew – the depth of, of your story. I didn't understand that until actually my son and his buddies did a, a podcast with you eight, nine months ago. Um, but I was always, the couple of years you were here, I was always, you're one of those guys that I was always drawn to because your story is so different. The, the, the path you took to get to the NHL, I just had no idea of the adversity that, that went along with that path at that time. But there's not too many guys, and, and there's actually one on the team right now, kind of similar, BCHL, um, and I think he, he probably even overlapped with you. Who's that? And Matt Irwin. He played for Nanaimo. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I'm not sure, but I think there's probably a year or two when you guys were in the league at the same time, because I think he's about to turn 35, and you're, you're only a couple of months older than Ovi. Which, yeah. which dawned on me last night. Yeah, but, I, I remember playing against Irwin a lot. Uh, San Jose, he was there. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, first of all, good to be here. It's good to see you guys again. But uh, yeah, <laughs> funny story. I remember hitting her when when I was with the Canucks, uh, a little high and a little late, and I got a call from Shani, uh-huh. a little slap on the wrist, no suspension, but he's like, "Hey, next one's uh, you're going to be in missing time." No suspension. <laughs> that was no against, fine. That was against Irwin, just a slap on the wrist. Wow. <laughs> Today it would be right. Yeah. But, uh, That's interesting. I didn't know that they would they would do those kind of calls where it was just a, a little bit of a like a you know guy pulling you over and saying this yeah. time I'm letting you go with a warning. But it was Shanny, so I was like, this is great. I loved Shanahan. Yeah, I was me like, too. Yeah, can you send over an autograph or something? <laughs> but uh, no, go, yeah. So going back to your comment, this uh, no one really knew the story, and uh, I mean, even my own family didn't know a, a lot in there, just of. Yeah. You know what I was putting myself through, and and the whole journey. So that was a big part of. I mean, I had this talk a couple times yesterday with some people, right? Where I, I always just kept things just kind of in and, and close to the vest, as you know, a lot of I, I think hockey players sometimes yeah, do, and just like culture, and just a just a man in general. Yep. Like as I've gotten older, and that's part of the timing of this. It was like, all right, it's it's time to to tell the story and because at the end of the day I'm like I can help people with this and and inspire people and make a difference and that was a big part of it and yeah the people that have read it like my best friends my family they're like I had no idea like because as far as everyone was concerned it was like oh Patty got burnt and he made a recovery and and here he is and there's just a <laughs> lot there's just a lot more to it and it's in there so yeah yeah so I, th- I think this this um, you mentioned the the accident the wh- where you got burned I think that was was that like right after your second season yep there and and I mean what what were your aspirations at that point like up to that point before the accident was 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 playing in the BCHL just just something to do because you love the game or was it like you you're trying to get to major junior or you were did was the Brown commitment already there? Like, how did this, those pieces, where were those pieces at that point? Yeah, good question. So my my NHL, like my dream from, I'd probably say like 13 years old was, was college because I knew I wasn't that good. Like, I was above average, but we're talking about a little town of Revelstoke, right? Yeah. And so I played house hockey at 14. I got cut from select teams, like, Pro hockey wasn't, I wasn't naive at the time or, you know, I thought I wasn't right. So I kept it pretty realistic and I never got, never talked to any major junior teams. So I'm like, if I can just, you know, sneak into junior A and, and get a scholarship, maybe it's div three. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was at. I mean, I, I snuck into the BCHL as a fighter, really. I scored one goal my first year junior. So not exactly what like the NCAA is is recruiting at the time, right? And then my second year, you know, I think I had like close to twenty points, and you know, probably twenty 
30 fights. So I was still that guy, but I added a few layers. Uh, and then my thought was going into my last year of junior eligibility. So my 21 year old year or 20 year old year, I guess, turning 21. Uh, I'm like, all right, if I can just like maybe 30 points or 40 and still play that role really well then I was like I think I could probably get a scholarship and that's what I was chasing and yeah. then and then this happened and uh that got derailed but at the time. even I feel like we have to back up a little bit here like you're not you you're always you're like George McPhee you're a willing combatant you'd fight anybody but but size-wise you were you weren't you know gonna scare anybody no so how did it how did that fighting ability and that 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 willingness where did that come from and how did that grow to the point where it it got you to 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 where you you know were on the verge of a scholarship or yeah. that that was your goal yeah there was a few things uh, and they're definitely definitely in there but I think the way I was uh, brought up I mean I boxed as a kid a lot my dad was you know a golden gloves boxer yeah, he go. he ran the the boxing club in Revelstoke and I actually remember, and I, some, so I look back and I reflect and I'm like, I don't know maybe how much of this, you know, has played a part of it, but, um, even just dealing with bullies and, you know, <laughs> times were different back then yeah, in a small were. town and I was a tiny, tiny kid. And so, you know, a few, I remember a few kids were, were bullying me and my, my dad said like, Hey, there comes a time and I don't know if this advice would be frowned upon now. Uh, and I don't know what I would tell my son now, but you know, at the time he's like, Hey, you know, you're going to have to stand up for yourself. And, and, and I did. And so that was like a kind of a, I was probably like 11, 12 and just a young kid. And you kind of like, it opens up a bit of a, the world of like standing up for yourself. And, but it was more like fighting not physically fighting, but I didn't realize that like it really instilled into me like a fighting for, for what you believe in, right? Or or what you love, and I think that really translated in uh, to my hockey, young hockey career. Uh, the other part was I knew like I I had to fight in hockey just to because of the way I played mostly, um, and I remember my junior B general manager. You know, I was eight, uh, 17, turning 18, and he said, you, like, this is who you are. Don't forget who you are. Yeah. Like, I could always hit, and that was my thing. I could hit, you know, run through guys, right? Yeah. And uh, and the fighting came from that, right? And so, uh, yeah, I think some of those earlier childhood things, the boxing, and um, I didn't fight a lot in junior B. So junior A was really when I got, like, thrust back into that. Um so yeah, I think there's a few factors there, you know, the boxing, the kid, uh, playground scraps, I guess, or whatever. But, um, yeah, mostly just like had to do shit no one wanted to do. And that was kind of like how I, how I grew up and do it the hard way, I guess. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Like you say, times were different. Um, so tell us about the, the, the accident and, and how, you know, that night kind of changed everything. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what, what the kids now do in junior do, but, uh, you know, what? when we were junior, we would go on our week-long bender and we'd have a big party and it would be the send-off to the season and kick into the summer kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, so we did, you know, we hung around town for, for a day or two and then we went out camping uh, 30 minutes out of town. And I was always, uh, I mean, maybe like a lot of young men or teenagers just, thought I was invincible I was always the guy that if they said hey patty jump and I'd say how high and then I'd take it a step farther and and I was a bit of a pyro and so I was always messing around with gas and fire and so the year prior I was we were at the party and I would chug a beer and I'd fill it full of like a Molotov cocktail and I'd fill it full of gas I'd put the the lid back on and I'd I'd put it in the fire gently obviously Yikes. obviously not a smart thing uh, but again, I, I thought I was invincible. And I think part of it looking back was, uh, I liked the adrenaline rush. Um, my young ego probably liked yeah. the attention of being like that guy. And, and I was like living this persona of, I was the fighter. I was kind of like the crazy guy. And 
yeah, I just kind of fed that wolf a little bit, right? Or a lot, I should say. And uh, so anyways, fast forward the next year, the second year, and we lose in the finals uh, in the BCHL. And the guys are like, Patty, you going to do your pyro show again this year? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so in my head, I'm like, how can I make this bigger and better? And I'm like, well, more gas. And so I went from the beer bottles to, to like wine bottles and the big, uh, like the Colt 45, you remember those old beer yeah, bottles, right? 40s. The 40s. And so I had two of those full of gas with the lid on in my, like a, the kangaroo pocket of my sweater pocket. And we had obviously been drinking and uh, I was walking around this party. We're out in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden I'm soaking wet. And so I looked down and I'm like, shit, the, the bottles had, the bottoms had hit together. And now oh. I have all this. So now I have a liter and a half of gas all over my torso. And yeah, maybe like five minutes go by, say, and I'm just like, I reek of gas. I need to get this sweater off. And I don't know. I, so I look back now and I don't know why I did this, but I, maybe I didn't want to like just litter or I probably just wanted to like, Hey, I'll just light this sweater on fire. So I took it off and I know I have gas on myself, but I didn't respect the dangers of like the vapors of right. gas and right. And all that they, they're dense. So they kind of settle around you. So I was just like a walking bomb really. And, uh, so I thought I kept it a safe distance from the fire and I just go to throw this and I kind of give the ground a kick too close to the fire. And it was like, like a detonator cord. It was just like, and then up I went and that's when everything got pretty ugly. Yeah. I mean, that, that had to be like, like you say, you're kind of outside of town and, and whatnot. Um, and you're, you're in dire medical need and it had to freak your friends out pretty, pretty hard too. But I mean, the rehab from that, I mean, you still wound up playing a couple dozen games the next season too. So, which to me was kind of, kind of amazing. I mean, it's amazing that you everything that happened after that is is amazing. But how did you get from that to back in the BCHL later that same season? Because that seems impossible given given what you just told me. Yeah, and that's where this whole, I think, uh, subtitle comes from, the defying the odds, because, so yeah, I uh, I wake up in Vancouver Hospital the next day, and the first few days were pretty uh, blurry, I don't remember a lot, um, I was in pretty rough shape, and so, you know, you're in that morphine-induced, no, I wasn't actually in a coma, but, you know, I was basically asleep for a few days, pretty groggy. And then I had this, my first debridement procedure, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's just for burn treatments. They have to like, they basically have to skin you alive. Uh, you're not awake for it, for the procedure, but every third day. So those third degree areas, they just swell and there's risk of infection. It's like major trauma. Right. And so they have to basically like there's, there's two things. First, they, they actually cut you open to relieve the swelling. So they, they slit you open and all this pus and shit comes out. Mm. Um, and then they take a, like a pressure washer and they just like hose you down and they slough off all the dead skin because uh, they have to keep those future sites clean um, and scar tissue just builds up if you don't do that. And there's, that's the eventual skin graft going to go there. But that doesn't happen for like couple weeks right so until then they have to like keep you clean because infection's a huge risk with with burns yeah anyway so i come out of this first procedure uh in a ton of pain obviously i mean the pain was just like non-stop in that place and so this is like day three and i remember asking the doctor the first thing that pops into my head was you know i'm pretty messed up here i know that um and he says, but I didn't know how bad until they got a look at me because I was just bandaged. Um, and so he kind of relayed the message. He's like, you're, you're 40% third, second degree burns. Uh, it's going to be a long road. You're going to make a full recovery. But yeah, you're going to be in here a while and um, you're really lucky. You know, my face wasn't going to be super scarred. It didn't look like they were going to have to graft over like any joints, which was really... Yeah really promising 
but yeah, he's like, you're going to be in here for a while. Um, and so that's when the first thought popped into my head. I have camp in, (laughs) you know, three or four months. And what we talked about earlier, like I had one more year of eligibility to like, to get that scholarship. So I'm like, you know, I got to be at camp and I've got to, you know, do this thing, have a good year. And so I asked the doc about that and he just, I'll never forget the look on his face. Like he kind of just froze. (laughs) It's like his face just said, you know, this poor kid thinks he's going to be playing hockey in a few months. And he was like, listen, like these recoveries take years, not, not months. Uh, You're going to be in here a while. Like, let's just focus on your recovery. We'll look at getting you in a pair of skates down the road in a couple of years when you're all past this. And I was like, Oh wow. Like, so that was it for me. My career was over then, you know, and it was kind of this double-edged sword where I was obviously like super down and, and depressed of, you know, that identity gets the rug kind of gets pulled out from under you. So it's like, what, okay, what am I going to do with my life now? Uh, but on the flip side, I was going to make a full recovery um, so I was thankful for that. It could have been a lot worse, worse yeah. you know, it could have been like not around kind of worse. Right. So I was thankful for that. And I figured, Hey, I can still go to school and I can go get a job and you know, all that, that business. And, uh, and so that was it. So those first two weeks in the burn unit, that was, my career was over and it was kind of just dealing with the pain and all the negative shit and, just trying to, yeah, trying to come to terms with what I, what I, what I was going to do and what my life was going to look like. So it was, a, it was a rough time for sure. So what went into defying that doctor's, uh, you know, yeah. prognosis? Because you're back on the ice, obviously within, well, less than a year for sure, probably yeah. eight nine months. Yeah. Oh, not even. I think it was so that the injury happened in uh, April twentieth, and then I I played in the home opener in September. Wow. So, so I mean, so, I'm looking at you, you played like 25 games that year. My, yeah. well, there's my a reason assumption for that. <laughs> was that they were at the end of the season, but you, you, oh. so, okay, I got to hear this then. No. Yeah. So, so I have this moment in the burn unit. I get a call from my junior coach who had come there then that night and saw, I didn't, I don't know because I was asleep. Right. Yeah. But he'd saw me. And so he called me and you know, I'm talking to him. He's like, Hey, you know, how you doing? And I'm like, well, I've been better, been better, but <laughs> hanging in there and still wrapped like a mummy and I can't, I can't move. And, uh, he's like, listen, I, I was just talking to, uh, the assistant coach from Brown university. And he's like, they're look, they, he told me they're looking for, uh, this type of player. His exact words were, they wanted a guy to put the fear of God in the defenseman of the Ivy league. And he's like, like, I killed guys in that league. Like that was my thing, obviously. Right. And he's like, I got the perfect guy for you. There's just, uh, there's just one major problem. He's, you know, in the burn unit and the future don't look too good. So he's like, just give him a call. He's like, I know you got the time (laughs) trying to find a little bit of humor in the whole thing. But so I was like, okay, so I, my parents take the number down. Remember I can't like, they're holding the phone to my ear. I'm like this wrapped up and so I called Danny Brooks uh the assistant coach at Brown who's our guy yeah Brooks I know and I didn't know I didn't know that uh Brooks he was here for a bit just a character yeah (laughs) so yeah I called this guy and I'd never heard a Rhode Island accent like that before (laughs) and I'm like huddled in the in the burn unit and he's like well Patty brother like what the hell you got bunt and i'm like so you know how he talks right <laughs> anyways so it was left super open-ended he's like we're sorry to hear what happened like wish you the best in recovery and you know we'd love to see you play one day uh down the road or something like knowing that yeah. that wasn't possible at this point in my life because of where i was right so hang up the phone and uh i remember just getting super emotional you know, like I just started thinking like I've worked my whole life to talk to one of these guys and finally I, I've done it and look where I am and look what I've done to myself. And yeah, it was, it was just, it was emotional. And I remember I just, I just sat there and I just laid there and I started asking myself like, why? So why, why can't I play? And there was a big long list of reasons why, you know, like infection was probably number one. 
those second degree areas like after once i got my grafting surgery those areas healed pretty pretty quickly mm-hmm. the second degree areas like they didn't close for for a long time they just would like they're always wrapped and covered especially under hockey gear i mean we're fast forwarding a little bit but um they just don't heal because you rip yeah. off the scab every time and it's just a pain in the ass but so that was a big reason the skin grafts were going to be you know very limiting painful stiff uh i was going to be in a full body suit for two years like you can't sweat from those third degree areas because i mean you don't feel anything because you burn through the nerves you can't sweat because there's no sweat glands yeah, like pores. there's major damage there right yeah. uh and so at the time they like they didn't know like that could have complications with heart rate if you're 40 percent um you know i was probably i wasn't 40 percent third but still like they don't know they're like 40% second, third degree burns, like where that percentage is relative to second and third. They don't really know, but they're like, when you have that much damage, there's complications there with heart rate and sweating. So they're like, we don't know. Anyway, so there's this huge list of reasons, right? And yeah, I just, I made, I just made a choice that day and I'm like, those aren't good enough for me just to say, I'm going to give up, you know? And, uh, I mean, I, I, my mindset was like, I'm willing to die before giving up on that. Like, if you're telling me it's going to hurt, it can't be worse than what I had just yeah. gone through. That that was a bit of naive thinking because <laughs> it was about the same. But uh, yeah, I'm just like, those aren't good enough reasons. And so, and that's where I learned the, the power of the mind and, and specifically visualization. So people always ask me like, how did you like start visualizing or how did you come across this practice and this was how I made a choice that I'm like I'm going here and if you're you're telling me I can't and so and I'm bedridden and these past two weeks like all I all I can do is think because I couldn't move yeah so my mind was all I had and so when I made this decision and this choice uh, I had no other option but to visualize where I was going and where I wanted to go and that really like it really truly unlocked something in me of just like I I just refused to give up and until I got there and uh so I mean there's a lot more to the the journey and the recovery you know I I ended up getting out of that hospital in six weeks which was a lot sooner than than I was supposed to and uh and then yeah the the adversities just kept coming I mean I had kidney stones the next day after I got out of the hospital I had an appendectomy 10 days before camp. Like I was pushing my body. I mean, your body's trying to recover from a right. major skin grafting surgery. There's a lot of trauma there and it, you know, there's some recovery and rehab and I'm like trying to push myself to get, to get on the ice again. Uh, I mean, I couldn't walk for probably another six weeks after I got out of the burn unit because blood in those grafts on my legs the blood would rush there and bleed out. So I could only be upright for like, you know, a few minutes at a time. And that was short walks, lay down short all day. So, uh, the doctors were right. Like I had no business playing hockey, uh, that, that year I really didn't. And I was holding on by a thread, like the pain. And I had a really bad pelvis issue because, you know, I could, I was coming to the rink on crutches, uh, and get, this is when you could get shot up with any painkiller you wanted, right? So they were hitting me with Toradol and cortisone just so I could play. Because then you made you made the choice if you wanted to play, not the doctor. Like it is, it's different now, right? But back then, like again, my mindset was like, I'm I'm going here. I don't care what it takes. Whatever it takes. And so Danny Brooks was coming to see me play in November, and I was having a pretty good year, even though I was like really struggling with the, with the pain. And I got an opportunity to play and. I think big part of it was they knew what I was putting myself through. And, um, yeah, they, they said, you, you're running this, this ship here. So you, you know, you tell us and, and that was it. And so Danny Brooks came to see me play. And, but like I said, I was holding on by a thread. Like I could, I was in a lot of pain on the daily. And anyways, we're fast forward. I, they finally offered me this scholarship and then that's why I only played 20 some games was because I, once I had done it, I was like, okay, it's time to, you've done it. It's time to get healthy. Yeah, pull and, the plug. Because I really was, I like, tr- really, yeah. truly holding on by a thread. I, I wouldn't have made it the whole season, I don't think. Yeah, um, I can't imagine that, that 
so that was why just the 20 games uh and i tried to get healthy i I did try and come back for playoffs and it was the same and so i mean again the doctors were right it took me two years to fully recover even my freshman year at brown i dealt with a lot of those issues as well but and then two years went by and i was i was pretty good (laughs) so they were right i just happened to mix in some hockey uh along the way but that's crazy yeah so so when you when you went to brown all of a sudden i mean you're you're a guy who spent your whole life in in western canada and now all of a sudden you're in rhode island (laughs) huge Um, city i thought yeah (laughs) um, this place is huge it's a providence Providence. yeah yeah i mean it's a decent it's a decent sized town yeah but yeah different certainly different than what you're used to and and your major was human biology was that something that like would you have had had the burn never happened and you you'd gotten the brown scholarship would you have majored in something completely different yeah good question i was i was always a, a science guy but yeah we had a good mentorship program there um so i remember all my buddies you know were, everyone on the team's taking econ or business or so i i was just kind of like ah, i should just probably do that and i remember chatting with my mentor and he's like well what do you want to take and i was like well i want to take this, you know, human biology, neuroscience, like I was always intrigued by that. And like you said, with the burn injury, like I'd love to learn more about just because I know in my head I healed faster because I'm, and people thought I was crazy when I said that, but I'm like, you, you don't know, like I know I got out of there sooner because of this. So I, I wanted to explore that. Um, so I told him, I'm like, that's what I, I want to do because hockey wasn't, a, so for me, I'm like, I'm going to go, you know, maybe do the doctor thing or maybe uh, sports psychology or sports science or rehabilitation or something along those lines. Because again, hockey wasn't, <laughs> I was never thinking about pro hockey because that was my right. dream. Right. Yeah. And he's like, take what you want. He's like, I know he was a successful guy on wall street. And he's like, half the dudes I work with, they have a degree in geology or history. Like it, it don't matter. It's who you know and it's how hard you work and that just proves you can commit and learn to something, right? So um, he's like, take what you want. And so I was like, really, it was really good advice. So I, that's where I went with the pre-med. And yeah, it was really cool because I got to kind of unpack and learn about just, you know, the plasticity of the brain and how the brain works and, uh, you know, really kind of taking a bit of a deeper dive into like, holy shit, like I got to kind of, learn about what I had gone through in a way. Um, so yeah, it kind of blew my mind and in, into the learnings and the workings behind the whole thing. Right. Um, so, and you're also 21 years old when you go there versus 18 when a, you know, a normal kid would go off to college. I, yeah. I feel like you, I mean, cause I kind of did the same thing. I, I didn't go to college right away and, and I went to a pretty good school too, but um, I feel like you're, you're in a better position to, to get more out of it. By waiting a little bit, and it, it this sort of dovetails into something that I like to ask everybody about because I, I think it's one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard in all my time doing this. And it's no surprise that it came from Wayne Gretzky, but he said, <laughs> "The tragedy of being a pro athlete is that your physical or that your mental peak comes so far after your physical peak. Uh-huh. You know, you have these physical gifts, and they're and they're the t- the clock is always ticking on them." But and and you've alluded to it a few times. When you're young, you think you're invisible. You just don't have a real grasp on, on you know what. I mean, even at my age, you're always still learning. You should always be trying. Yeah. You're, you know, you, you laugh at at. You know, I laugh at what I thought about when I was forty or when I was fifty. Um, it's you're, you're you should be always learning, and, and so. You know, think of a musician, a professional musician. You'll see a band when they're in their 20s and think they're awesome. But yeah. they don't, you know, it's not like they, they have to hang them up when they're in their 50s. These guys are still getting better and getting more accomplished at their craft for the entirety of their lives. You know, there's no yeah. reason that they can't be. There's no, their their skills aren't going to take a downturn unless they get like carpal tunnel or something like that. Right. So it's it's a completely different ball game and i just think that you know you probably benefited from from that oh absolutely i mean so what you just said really 
like you said, it, it really dovetails into this next moment I had at Brown. So I go through this whole burn experience and it was like, wow, like it's just crazy. Like what we're capable of, but I get to Brown and again, like that's my peak. And so I didn't have the wherewithal cause I'm too young. I'm 21 and I didn't have the wherewithal to think like, what's next? Like what, if I could do that, like what else could I do? I got to Brown and I just had a, I just had a blast and you know, my perspective on life had changed as well. Like when you go through something like that. Oh yeah, for sure. So I was like, life's short. I'm just here. I'm here for a good time kind of thing. I worked my ass off. Don't get me wrong. And I had to grind to just make the starting lineup at Brown. I mean, I got some funny <laughs> stories about how I ended up getting into that too. But, but yeah, so, you know, those first three years at Brown, I, I was that fourth line guy, a little bit of third line. And I, I had my role and I just had a blast and I just had fun and I enjoyed the U S call or the college experience. And but there's nothing wrong with that. No, either. and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, so yeah, it was, it, life was great. You know, college, like I know you had no yeah. cares in the worried. I was a student athlete. I just, it was, it was a time of my life. It really was. So I, our third year ends, my junior year, and one of the assistant coaches, Brooksy, I think was gone by that time. Uh, yeah, I think he was it, there the first couple of years. Yeah, so it was, a, it was another guy. Anyways, so we had this conversation, and he's like, pulled me aside, and he's like, hey, you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And I, I laughed. I was like, I'm 24. Like, no. It's never really crossed. I mean... I could have probably went and slugged it out in the in the SPHL or the CHL yeah. for for a year to say I did it, but like yeah. I'm like fighting for a few hundred bucks a week doesn't seem super appealing. And you know I had this degree and I was kind of off doing going to go yeah. do that thing. Um, and so he said, "Listen, I like well, there's some been some AHL teams asking about you. I really think you could have a. I've never seen anyone hit like you can hit. I was hurting some kids in the Ivy League pretty bad." Uh, because again, you say going there as a 21 year old, like I, re I was a super late bloomer. I don't think I hit yeah. puberty till like 16, like super late. So I was packing on the muscle in college, right? Cause you just, you yeah. don't play a lot. You're working out all the time. So I was getting pretty big and strong. And, uh, so he said, you know, the way you hit and, and, and can move, if you just add some layers to your game and really work on the skill part, he's like, I really think you could have a pretty solid five, 10 year career, uh, in the AHL and like who knows maybe get a shot in the show one day and I'm like holy shit like I was like well thank you uh <laughs> but, okay and so I didn't think much more and I went home and I just yeah I started thinking about what he said and I'm like fuck I'm like I, and I immediately thought back to the the burn injury and I'm like and then this, this light bulb went off from in my head again I'm like if I can do that like why can't I go play in the NHL and then I kind of like gave myself a bit of a flick in the face like what have you been doing these last three years like what what else could you could we do here and so that's when I went I mean I made a choice uh and I think there's a lot of power in that like especially with you know my experience like make that clearly, choice clearly and become is. obsessed and if you have that like purpose and the why behind like that journey which I did in both of these circumstances and yeah, I just made a choice. I'm like, I, I said to myself that day, I'm going to play in the NHL. And uh, I called my parents. I'm like, I'm not coming home. I'm staying out here. And I lived at the rink. Like I really lived at the rink. And that's where I, I had to go back to, okay, so what do I know about the mind and and what we're capable of? And it was that visualization piece. I know, I know that got me out of the hospital and back to playing hockey because that was all I had. So I had to go back to that. And so I just became obsessed. I created this movie in my head and I just lived in this other reality. Like, you know, when you create that experience in your mind, your yeah. brain doesn't actually know the difference. Again, I, like I was learning and scratching the surface on this at Brown and, uh, and I've learned a lot more about this, uh, after, after hockey too. But, um, so yeah, I just became obsessed and I mean, obviously the physical practice was there too uh, so I was at the rink all the time I was working on my skills and so people <laughs> you look at my stats and they think oh Patty just like figured it out this senior year there's a lot more to it than massive that. difference though. massive and uh, so I went from and again like so all these things in my life and there's been other experiences post hockey for me where 
every time I've gone back and, and started using this visualization practice, like shit just happens. And it's just so crazy that, you know, it's like a superpower. It, it's a superpower. And that's a, that's the book. And, uh, yeah. So I, I was 24 years old. I went from in like not even a year, like six, eight months. I went from no one in the NHL knew who I was for sure. There was no one knew who I was to probably being like a top five prospect in the country in, in that short amount of time, because, you know, I got an opportunity and, uh, yeah, my confidence was like in, in space. It was just so high, you know, and it just, everything just snowballed in a crazy way. So you create, you, you essentially created demand for your services out of nothing. And, and you were one of those springtime college free agents that the yep. NHL teams are all in competition yeah. for. And that was nice about being older, right? As I yeah. was that free agent and I have this really good year. And yet, like you said, I, I think I had like eight contract offers that spring. How did you sort it? I mean, obviously it's, it's kind of a no brainer to go to, to Vancouver. That's it's your kind of your hometown team, but were you tempted by any of the other uh, yeah, opportunities? So the terms and money weren't really that close and with Vancouver, obviously. So it, it was a pretty, pretty easy decision. There were some other teams where you want to factor in opportunity because mm-hmm. I knew Vancouver was stacked. They right? were, they so, were at, kind of at their peak there. then. So that was, a, you know, I did think about that for a while, but, but yeah, I mean, I had no money, so that was a little yeah. bit of it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how long this career is going right. to be. I'll take some cash if, well, I can. Um, and they were the first ones. And so what I didn't know was they actually lost out on, uh, I think it was Matt Gilroy. Do you remember him? Yeah, sure. I think it was BC or yeah, it was definitely one of those. Uh, so Vancouver apparently lost out on him. And I think they, they saw me and they really liked me early on that year. And I think they made a pretty strong, uh, offer. And anyways, so I signed with Vancouver and, uh, the, I mean, the funniest part about all of this signing was that no one, no one really knew, like my, I didn't tell my family anything because I hadn't done it yet. So I didn't want to be like, they knew I was having a really good year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I've been talking to some pro scouts, but I didn't say like NHL. So I called, I signed my contract on March 22nd, 2010. And I called my parents and, uh, you know, we had just ended, we had actually a pretty good year at Brown. We were never really that good, but we got hot and we went to the tournament, uh, for the ECAC and had a pretty good year. Nice. And, uh, so, you know, my, my dad was like, so you guys are just partying, like you recover and like what's going on. And, uh, I was like, yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, but there's going to be some more partying cause I got some good news. And I said, you know, you remember how I told you I was talking to some pro scouts and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I, I like by pro, I meant NHL. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, dad, I, I actually just signed with Vancouver for two years. And <laughs> it's not a lie. He's like, he's like, golf, get re-, like what's going on i'm like dad i'm serious like you could probably go look online and he's like again off like you're fucking with me and i'm like go look and so he's like and he's just kind of i could just silence and he's like holy shit what because they didn't again like no i this kind of came out of nowhere and it was it was just a crazy ride it really was but i mean again like you sign with the i was on a two-way right so again the work's kind of just just starting there. Yeah. Like I signed the contract, but you know, grinded in the minors and fought my way up from there. But I think you went right to Manitoba and scored a goal in your first game too, right? Yeah, I did goal in a fight. Actually my, so my first pro fight <laughs> actually tripped over the net and uh, I can't remember who the, who it was against. Um, but I'm in their end and I, I back up for the square off and my, my heel catches the back of the net oh and I fall God. and the crowd's booing and laughing. And <laughs> this guy I'm about to fight standing over me, he's chuckling. And I'm like, this could only happen in hockey. And so we square off and have a pretty good fight. And yeah, my, I ended up getting a puck off the shin pad or something and went in. And so yeah, it was a pretty good first, first showing. That's pretty wild. Yeah. And then, so, so you, you didn't take you too long and, and you're up in the, uh, up in the show with the Canucks and you're playing with the Sedins and yeah. I mean, what was that? What was that experience like? And were your parents there for for your debut and and all that good stuff yeah. that that we that we like to see these days? 
Oh yeah, it was my first game was hockey night in Canada against the oh, Leafs man. at home. So it was pretty it was pretty surreal. Can't script it any better than that. No, yeah. I remember so again, it's it's just crazy how it worked out. So I in Manitoba, I got off to a pretty good start. I was playing like top 6. And this is at the tail end of your senior year, right? Just a uh, handful n- of games. The, no, no. The, so this is so I have that taste. And then, the, so we're, now so, we're talking about the first full season pro. Yeah, okay, exactly. Gotcha. So I had had a, I had a pretty good showing. I was playing in, the, in sorry in the in the senior year spring when I got that ATO taste. Yeah, uh, I was playing with like Mike Keane on the third line, and wow. yeah, I I got in a few fights and and did pretty well and solidified my role PK'd a bit. Uh, but the next year, like I wasn't I wasn't you know slotted as like a fourth line guy like I had a really good senior year so I was started top six and my first game I had like two assists on the power play hit the post in the slot uh so I had a I got off to a really good start and then but you know pro hockey's a, it's a long grind the season and and then I go in a bit of a slump and I can't score uh hit a couple posts and I had to go back because then I'm like then I'm on the fourth line because I'm not producing and you know, I was making pretty good cash in the minor leagues. And so Manitoba, you know, like with Hershey, they're privately owned. Yeah. There's a prioritizing of, of winning there. They want to win, yep. So it's like develop the prospects, but like we're going to play this guy making 40 grand over you if you're not going to produce. And so that's kind of where I was at. So there was this really weird dichotomy like where the Canucks were because I was, I was scrapped. So I had to go back to what I knew and I'm like just I was fighting, playing my role, hitting because I just, yeah, I couldn't couldn't produce in those first few games so I wasn't doing that but I was doing the other I was fighting every other game and I was hitting and I was playing real well so the Canucks were uh calling me they're like we love it like keep it up this is what we signed you for but Manitoba's like I was healthy scratch the odd game they're like we need you to start putting the puck in the net here so I call my agent and I'm like wow what who do I listen to here he's like well who do you, where do you want to play and so he's like this is who you are, like, and that's what I had to do. Every level I climbed, I always had to be the fighter and solidify my spot, and then add the layers after. And and so this was no different. And uh, yeah, we were in Abbotsford before in November, probably around this time of year. And I had a game where I I called them the double homicide, where I would knock out a guy from a hit and then knock out the guy from a fight. So I had quite a few of those in the minors. And so, so you're, you're hitting a guy and then taking care of the guy who the guy comes, comes to jump me and beat yeah, him up. Right. And like literally like stepping over guys on the way to the penalty Double box. Hums. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm in Abbotsford and unfortunately the guy hit got hurt really, really, mm. really badly. And I, I mean, you never wish that on anyone like the sick part of me. Like if I broke your collarbone, I'd, I might be like, yeah, well too bad. But you never want to see the head, the head injuries and the concussions are, are pretty. So that was that was a bit scary. Um, but uh, yeah, I had this this in Abbotsford, and all the Canucks brass are there, and I w- and they were looking for that sandpaper, and I was called up a week later. But uh, but I go into the office, and I'm expecting. So the co- coach in Manitoba, uh, Claude Noel, <coughs> calls me into his office. Former cap too. Yeah. yeah. Claude, I like Claude, but him and I kind of butted heads a few times. Just like I said, there's this dynamic where I'm like trying to play, have my role, but trying to produce and, and anyways, but I'm expecting for him to say like, Hey, you're not playing tomorrow. You're healthy scratch. Like we need you to figure your shit out here. And so he's sitting at his desk and he kind of just, I walk into his office and he's like, go pack your bags. You're going to Vancouver. And I'm like, I was expecting you to tell me I'm not playing tomorrow, but okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> so crazy. Go to Hockey Night in Canada against the Leafs on December 18th. Yeah, and then it was just, it was so surreal. Yeah, just again, like because I had been living in this movie and like seeing this ending of like that first NHL game, uh, and then to, to actually have lived it was like, I remember just like I was I was trying to keep it together like emotionally wise just that first game because it was like five years earlier I was in the burn unit yeah. and like in Vancouver of all places like that was the farthest thing from my mind that I was going to be playing in the, in the NHL like no I was just trying to like stay in junior A <laughs> in a burn unit and so for me it was like yeah like I said it was just it was emotional I was trying to like I'm like okay you're you're, you're gonna go play your first game like enjoy it kind of thing and yeah it was just it was just very surreal the whole thing 
was that the year too that that was in the middle of the season that they they went to the cup final against yeah. Boston? Yeah. That was my first year. Yeah, so we had a pretty good team, and I was staying up for a couple months. Uh, played well, played my role well, and uh, came back as a black ace for the run, which was pretty cool. I actually almost played in Game Seven against for the Bruins. I think I remember hearing that story, but go yeah. ahead. I'd love, love to hear it again. Well, you know the black aces have sure. our separate little room, right? Yep. So there's like the five or six of us. You skate on your own. Um, I think one or two guys would skate with the team, right? But we had like our own group, and I remember Vigneault comes into our room and he sits and he talks to me and and Alexander Balduke, who I think would did he play in Hershey too? No. Anyways, maybe I can't remember. So he sits and two of us. He's like, I can't remember. Someone was hurt. It might have been Mason Raymond. Don't quote me on that. But someone couldn't play in Game Seven, so he's like, Hey, one of you two guys is going tomorrow. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to play in game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. I might only play 45 seconds total, but I'm going to dress. <laughs> Anyways, he ended up going in. He was a centerman. I think the last thing he wanted yeah. was me taking a draw in game seven yeah. in our own end or something like that. But, uh, yeah, so he ended up going in, but I was that close to playing. And, yeah, unfortunately, we, we lost, obviously. And then the whole riots and the craziness happened in Van that year. But pretty special first year, you know, to have experienced that that run and on such a good deep team too so and then i feel like you 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 kind of had a little bit of a role there where i feel like that vancouver fourth line was you guys were sort of deployed in the d zone they were you guys were kind of an early analytics um darling type of a line and and maybe i'm maybe i'm getting a little off here but i feel and i don't even remember who else was on yeah there wasn't a lot of analytics talk that back then i don't think what was the one measure the what's the main Corsi. yeah i think there might have been the Corsi. uh so so this is in 2010 11 uh so back then like the fourth line we weren't necessarily expected to produce it was kind of a bonus it was kind of a bonus whereas now like the guy you got to play yeah. and you got to you got to chip in but the guys now are getting a lot probably twice the minutes that you right know, but back then you guys are getting five or six nowadays they'll get 10 yeah. 11 12 yeah exactly so i that line with dale weiss and and max lapierre we uh yeah we had a we didn't produce a lot but we were buzzing and creating, that it, line, creating energy and we played against the teams some of the team's top lines and you know the odd time and which was kind of nice because it, you know, we just we had that role and it was, you know, we played it well. And unfortunately, I had uh, I missed most of the season because of a shoulder injury that year. But um, yeah, yeah, we had a good, good, good line with a lot of energy and 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 played it well for sure. And I remember when when the Caps claimed you on waivers was late February of the lockout year. Yeah, the lockout year, so it would have been twenty thirteen. Yeah. And and you showed up. We we're in the middle of a road trip, and we we're in Winnipeg. So you're, yeah. you're coming back to that building, the MTV Center. I got the shit kicked there. out of me that game. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought you held your own. I mean, that was um, first period fight with yeah. uh, Peluso. Yeah, he's a big right? boy. Anthony yeah. Peluso. Yeah, he's a he's a big big dude. He played here, didn't played he? Played here. He a came couple here. Years. Yeah, I think yeah. he played two games with us the year they won the cup. Oh, did he? Like 17, 18, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he. I got strung out, and he wailed on my. The back of my head but that was funny because all the trainers that i played with the moose were with the jets so i go get like 25 stitches in the back of my head like there was just blown open but he broke his hand so i was joking around with mullet the <laughs> trainer with the jets now and he's like what the hell are you doing fighting that guy and he's he's like he broke his hand on the back of your head i was like well that means i won right because i came back <laughs> <laughs> he was out uh, longer than you were that's for sure right yeah yeah um so so you you go from playing with the Sedins to to coming to to Washington and playing with, you know, Ovi and and Backstrom and pl- playing for Adam Oates, a, a Hall of Famer. I mean, what was what was that whole experience like? Kind of kind of abrupt change in geography, scenery, you know, yeah. every everything really. Yeah, it was very very different. I mean, the cities are very different. The team was very different. Just everything, the way it was ran and the culture. Again, city and team, total diff- totally different. Uh, but it was the best thing for, for my career, and it was a nice change. Um, I love D.C. You know, like, forget about the, the hockey, but just there's, like, an energy in D.C. Yeah. that I really love. Uh, Vancouver's a great 
city. Obviously, you guys, you know, you've been there. It's yeah. it's a great city, uh, but it's like kind of a small, big city, you know, in a way where, yeah, DC just has this energy that I that I really like, and so it was a very welcome change. Uh, but I remember, you know, the culture was very. I don't want to say it was a country club here, but you know, at the time, it was. It wasn't a, like Vancouver was kind of what you would expect, like an NHL team like you got workouts every day it was very regimented and we knew where we had to be at all times and I got here and I remember I remember asking oh like a week went by and I'm like I'm like Ovi do we have like a workout he's like yeah if you want to and I was like what <laughs> well I mean I, I so think that I think changed when trots it, came you're, in you're, right yeah because you're I yeah. was gonna say you're playing for Elaine Vigneault a guy who's coached yeah. for a few teams and, and yeah. has an idea and 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 you go to playing for Adam Oates, who's in his second year and had, had never been a head coach before. And, uh, you know, over my time yeah. in this gig, see, there's a vast difference between the first-time head coaches right. and the ones like Peter Laviolette and Barry Trotz and yeah. Ron Wilson, who've, who've had the gig before, and, and yeah. Jim Schoenfeld, and the guys who, who know what goes into that role I and mean, they're just not just spitball and stuff you know yeah there's a vast difference and, and know, i like, saw that in my last yeah. year i mean with my neck i didn't play that last year really but i got a taste of it with with barry and yeah the culture really shifted i think and i mean obviously you guys won and maybe that was because i left but it <laughs> took a few years though no yeah so i think you saw that shift and i don't think it was i mean that's when you got you know you guys won three years later or whatever right so yeah. um yeah, but again, just very different. Uh, I loved it here, and it was the best thing for my career, right? What what happened that that you you mentioned the career ending neck injury? How did that come about? Yeah, I got hit from behind and on against the Islanders from Karkner, big boy. Yeah, um, and at, at Karkner, yeah. yeah, he's a big boy, yeah. and uh, yeah, I just I went in kind of awkward. I don't think it was really a dirty hit I think I kind of maybe turned I mean I had delivered countless hits like that so maybe it was kind of came back full circle but uh yeah kind of went into the boards goofy with my head turned and just had this instant shooting pain and uh in my arm and so I ended up having this blown up disc in my neck that yeah this so that hit happened in like May no sorry April no, March or April, right? So it was close to the end of the season. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of like in and out of the lineup just trying to grind. So I have this, like, I could barely, I could barely drive to the rink because I had to have my head like kind of tilted down. Otherwise that nerve, yeah. that it would just put pressure. And like five times in a practice or if I'd get in a game, like little things would set it off and I just couldn't, I never got the feeling back in these fingers and my thumb. So something was going on. And, uh, but Even I was like- still? No, well, my nerve pain's fine. Like yeah. that, the surgery had fixed that. Yeah. Anyways, so I'm trying to come back and play and end up getting the MRI and they're like, you need, you need surgery. And so now you're seeing guys get the disc replacement. And, yeah. and in hindsight, you know, that might've been the better route because you're seeing like, so Derek Dorsett, I know got the same one. Uh, I can't, so any, the few guys that have gotten the fusion, like there's, they don't, a lot of them don't come back because- is that what Eichel did? No, he got Fusion. the disc replacement. Right, okay. So I actually, when I, I went to see the doctor here, and he's like, I want to do a disc replacement, but you got to remember this is uh, like eight yeah. plus years ago, and I think it, the technology and the research was a little bit different then. So I am, end up going to L.A., seeing another guy, and, and then I went to Vancouver. So I got three opinions, and two of them said Fusion, and they're like, the last thing you want, is more movement there that the disc replacement might give you. And they're like that to me, that scared me. Cause I'm like, I don't want my spine moving more. I want that thing to be stable. Yeah. Uh, so I don't regret the decision. I think now you might've, it might've been the disc replacement, but again, in eight years, it's probably changed quite a bit. So yeah, I ended up getting the fusion and trying to come back and play that last year when Barry was here. And, uh, I remember it was like just before Christmas when I was scheduled to come back, but I knew my neck was like, it wasn't ready. But, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I either try and play and get another contract or like it, it's probably over because, you know, that role was a like kind of dwindling. Yeah, right. I mean, I could yeah. still skate and hit, but I never yeah, really got always... to add that layer yeah. of 
of, I mean, I, I think I was better than what my stats were, but it's tough, right? You get yeah. that role. And the last thing I want to do is turn it over and make a mistake and, and get sent down, let alone play more. So I kind of, you know, you stay in your lane and I would have liked to add that layer. Yeah. I mean, I didn't play a lot of games in my five year career. Like I was hurt, you know, with the shoulder and the yeah. neck and the healthy scratches. I didn't play a lot of games. Right. But, uh, so that year at Christmas, I got a couple games in Hershey, um, coming off the injured reserve and, I just knew, like, I'm like, this is not feel good. But again, like, so I, I was had that. I still had the mindset, like, in the burn unit, like, I'll, I'll die before I give up on this. But it got to a point where, like, I could barely get out of bed, and I started getting worried, like, yeah. could I really fuck myself up? Like, I want to be able to hold my future kids yeah, here. Like, you're gonna if, have a long life after hockey. I'm like, you don't wanna... so with the burn, I couldn't make the burn worse. Really, it was like, can you deal with the pain? And like, I'm not gonna make the burn worse it's just gonna really hurt mm -hmm. right and i might have complications but with the neck injury like you're talking about yeah. you might need a double fusion here like that's life-changing and that's, that's not a whole different animal and so i i i really had to like and i went and saw the surgeon in uh so I, this wasn't so i got put down on waivers and went down to hershey um which is fair like you know the team was doing well and like I had an injury and the team was rolling and, you know, they just said I wasn't in the plans and which is totally fine. Like it's, I get it. Um, so I go down to Hershey and, and I'm still having these neck problems and I'm like, I need to go see the surgeon and just make sure like, I'm not going to really screw myself up here. And yeah, that's when he, he didn't tell me like your career's over, but he said, y you can't be playing with this the way it is. Yeah. And, and he's like, it might take a while to heal. And I mean, it still feels the same to be honest. And it's just that fusion uh, just has complications adjacent. Right. And, uh, and so that was it. And it was, but I really had to like give myself permission to take care of my health because yeah, I had to let go of that mindset from the burn unit because I, you know, had taken me places I never even thought were possible at the time to, you know, it's time to like, you could this, you could feel this for the rest of your life if you have to have another fusion surgery here. And so that was, that was it. And then it was all over just like that. But so how are you now using that cinematic visualization and, and yeah. And how are you imparting it to, to other people? Yeah. I mean, so I work with athletes on the visualization piece. So, uh, I, you know, when you retire, like a lot of pro athletes, it's like, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? And like, you talk about that identity and, and you've got a being, degree, at least a lot of guys don't have that. Yeah, and it's hard, and I I struggle with that. And my life life hit me really hard after I retired, um, with that identity piece. And I had a lot of, lot of other personal adversities that just kept like piling on and piling on. And I mean, thank God I had this practice and this yeah. behind me because like I hit rock bottom after a couple years after retirement, and it was rough. And when I went back to this again, like I said earlier, like every time in my life I've gone back to this and visualized and lived in this like other reality, not like what I perceive to be my current shitty reality, like everything just changed. And, uh, so I used that in, in retirement and I had worked in wealth management for a few years when things were really rough and I ended up leaving that. And, uh, and then COVID hit and I remember just sitting on this bench and I was, I was kind of coming out of that rut. And I just remember like closing my eyes and thinking what I was going to do. And, and I'm like, what about that book? Like that was always an, a side project you had. Cause everyone was like, man, you need to write a book and tell this story. Seriously. And you know, you're in hindsight, I wish I would have done it when I was playing, but I just, you know, you're kind of obsessed with that. Yeah. It, and so it, it seems like it would have been a distraction. It might've been. Yeah. So anyways, I, yeah, I didn't. And, um, and that's where, you know, I really had to like get comfortable with just like opening up. Cause like, again, like my family didn't know a lot of that shit in there. And so a lot of it was just, Hey, you can, you might be able to help some people and inspire people and make a difference with this. And so that was a big part of it was just, it's time to, to tell the story. And, uh, but so now like, so with this practice, yeah, I'm not an athlete anymore, but, uh, I like, I, I play some squash, but you know, not, I mean, I guess competitively, but so now I, you know, manifest and, and create this movie of like, what do I want? Well, I, I want to make a difference for people with this book. And, 
you know, with, with athletes and, and organizations of like, Hey, this, this, this is a superpower. If you can channel it and practice it the right way, harness it and harness it. So that's what I've been doing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the book's got some good traction and, um, people, so it's really cool because it's been out for, uh, I don't think not even a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. no one's really read it yet. So the p- few people that have, that have gotten it, uh, have like messaged me. And so the people reaching out to me, it's, it's so cool because they're like, man, like a, like I never like knew about this, any of this and be like, wow, like this whole new world's open for me. So, and that's exactly what I, you know, wanted to get out of it. And people I think are like, really blown away and I think the average read times like a day or two they're like I can't put it down so I think yeah I hope you enjoy it yeah no I'm looking forward to (laughs) to sinking my teeth into it too but you know one of the other things I thought was pretty cool is that uh, on your uh, the the Amazon page for the book it it, it mentions that you're you're kind of a professional dabbler (laughs) and and I love that because I I feel like that's what everyone should aspire to you should you should be looking to to you, you don't need to be an expert on any one thing you should you should you know be yeah. trying a number of different things and, and just I mean like you said life nobody knows how long we're here for you you might yeah. as well just you know experience different experience things, different things and, and and you know you mentioned guitar and playing music and you know Zach and I both both dabble in that that sort of thing too that's like, like after games that's what I do to, to kind with of guitar or? yeah I that's what I yeah, and that's what I would do after every game. Yeah. It's, it's like an escape, and I just don't think about all the other shit in the he- my head. <laughs> I mean, so I saw that you know you were listening want to be rock star too. I mean, like I was saying earlier, there's there's really no shelf life on that sort of thing. So I know. Well, right? that's could, that's that could lo- be your next career. You could. Uh, yeah, and my that's what my wife tells me. She's like, because I was like, I'd really like to. I mean, I can sing okay, and I think if you know if I really worked at it, I mean, hey, like use this practice for right. whatever you want, right? And so, yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I really love what I where I'm at right now with this and the, my business, and and you know, really even doing more speaking things for teams and organizations. Like, I really am enjoying that. But uh, yeah, look out, maybe rock star down the road. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that'd be <laughs> because something. you're right. There's no really, especially if you talk about maybe like the not like hardcore country say, but like maybe like a blues country rock, like yeah, you be whatever, whatever age you want do whatever you want. And, and the, yeah. the way the music business is now too, you can, you can sort of manage yourself and yeah. you can do, do a lot of your own self self recording and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool. My son's really reinvigorated the music for me because he's a, he loves it's I mean, he's hilarious. He just loves like, He's into Black Sabbath right now. And he loves Metallica and ACDC. Wow. And he's really got me back into kind of the electric stuff because I had always just sat down with my acoustic and yeah. grab a beer and just yeah. chill after the games. And uh, it was like my, it was my time and just ch- unwind. And, but now he's like getting me down there and we're playing, you know, Iron Man and like Metallica. And so I'm like, now nah, I got the electric back out and we're rocking. And I, yeah, it's so you just never know, man. I, yeah, hope maybe I, I tell him like let's start a band. Like, don't forget yeah. about your old dad. Like, when you make it though, <laughs> there's a great band out of, uh, a father and son band out of Milwaukee. In oh the, yeah, in the late '80s, called the Spanic Boys, and they're pretty pretty good. Little, yeah. little kind of country popish. Okay, but they actually wound up being on Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah, um, one night because oh I can't think. Uh, Sinead O'Connor was kind of blacklisted, or uh. they needed somewhere. She, she had. Um, turn, I forget what the circumstances were, but at the last minute, she she was not on the show, and they needed a musical guest, and somebody recommended these guys, and that's that's how I found out about them. And oh, cool! They put out a few records. So, anyway, thanks. It's been great talking to you, and and you know, after you put out your first album, we'll have you back. Yeah, you you and Finn. <laughs> that's your, the next son, thing. So, yeah. um, so just as a reminder, you're you're out in in. Uh, bookshop.org or your, or your local uh, bookseller or, you know, if, if you have to go the Amazon route, do that. Um, the book is Fighter, Defying the NHL Odds by Aaron Volpatti. And it's a hefty tome, and I can't wait to <laughs> to give it a good read. Yeah, no, no, thanks, folks. And, yeah, we're doing the – for 54 days, 40% of the, the profits are going back to the the Burn Fund and, and for this week, the Burn Foundation and – uh, in DC and, and Hass Heroes as well. So partnered up with Hath and we're raising oh, some raising some money 
and uh yeah so it's for a good cause so yeah again um local bookstores probably not yet so i mean amazon or you can go on my website aaronvalpatty.com um and, and get them online is there a kindle version as well yeah that's going to be live on i so you can buy it right now i think that's live on the 15th i'm working on the audiobook uh so you know that'll probably be a couple months away but Patty, it's it's a. It, I mean, like I said, I always enjoyed talking to you. I always uh, enjoyed hearing your uh, your perspectives on things because um, you, you you were were always kind of a wise soul to me. I think yeah, you know sure. guys with college degrees are not plentiful in in, in our business. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, I I never had any idea, and I can't wait to to rip through your your book here and and. Uh, I'll pass it along to I know I have a few people already in mind that I know would would benefit from it yeah no thanks folks and and likewise for you I've always I mean it's it's great to be back here chat with people like you and yeah it brings back a lot of good memories so thanks again and, and it's good to see you again yeah.